The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, we're happy to have Dr. Robert Sears to discuss vaccines and the different ways to approach this often controversial subject. Plus, we'll let you in on another one of Mother's classic recipes and give you a chance to win a $100 gift card. So listen carefully to the code word this week. But first up, we're so very proud to have one of the leading authorities when it comes to pediatrics, Dr. Robert Sears. He's been practicing medicine for over 15 years. Dr. Bob's unique approach combines traditional and alternative methods, incorporating a natural approach through diet and prevention with a focus on healthy living right from the beginning. He's a medical consultant for Happy Baby Organic Baby Food and an advisory board member for Kaplan University Department of Health Sciences, an author of several books, a father of three boys. He also has appeared on The Ellen Show, CBS Morning News, and he's a regular contributor to several magazines across the country. We could go on and on, but we want to hear from him live. Dr. Sears, how are you? I'm doing great, Kim. It's great to be here. It's uh, so good to have you back here with us. And today we are going to be talking about something that's gotten really controversial, uh, a high profile lately, and that is, of course, vaccines and how, if we choose to vaccinate our children, how we want to get your perspective on this because you've written a book, the vaccine book, and one that's really taken a balanced approach to vaccinations. Right, you know, vaccines are very important and they do so much good at preventing diseases. But I think more and more parents are a little worried about vaccines. Absolutely. And so in my book, I try to educate parents on the importance of vaccines and try to show them how they can go about vaccinating their children in a manner that I think is very safe. Well, it's nice that you have done all of the research. Uh, What are the vaccines that our children receive and when do they get them? Well, children receive 12 different vaccines all throughout their childhood, given at various times. They get six of the injections at two months and repeated at four months and six months. And then they get some other injections at age one and 15 and 18 months. And then uh, every year there's at least one vaccine that's on the schedule. A lot of years it's just the flu shot, Mm -hmm. you know, as they get older. But at age five, we give another big round of vaccines uh, prior to entering kindergarten. And fairly recently, there have been three vaccines added during the teenage years. And so there's a lot to do throughout, you know, throughout the entire childhood. And I know we're going to talk a lot about each of these vaccines. And so it's important for parents to be educated about it. So are vaccines mandatory for school-aged children? Well, in California, for mm-hmm. entering school, vaccines are actually optional, as they are in 20 other states in the U.S., now, 30 states have more mandatory vaccine laws. Uh, thank you. That's what I was trying to get at, mandatory and, and what is uh, optional. Right. right, but in California, we have a little more freedom, I guess, out here. And, and parents do have the right to elect not to vaccinate or to partially vaccinate. So it's not something parents you know, need to be forced into doing, but it is important to do. So that's what we're here to talk about today. Okay, so what are the risks from when you get, when you get vaccinated? Well, vaccines are fortunately overall very safe. We've been using them for you know, so many decades. But the, the problem with vaccines is that very, very rarely a child may react very severely. There have been some very, very tragic, fatal vaccine reactions, some very severe allergic reactions, some very uh, severe uh, neurological reactions. 
Um, a number of children over the years have, have had uh, uh, neurological injury from vaccines. Now, these are extremely rare cases because you think about, you know, the, the, we've probably given a, you know, several billion doses of vaccines over the years to, you know, to many millions of children. Um, and and the, the number that have a severe, a severe reaction is very, very small. But I think every parent is a little concerned you know, mm-hmm. that their child is going to be one of those statistics. And fortunately, as a pediatrician, I've never seen any uh, extremely severe reactions. I've seen some reactions over the years, but, but nothing uh, ever, ever uh, really severe. Um, but for those families that it happens to, it, it is very tragic. And so parents need to be educated about the, the risks of vaccines, but to know the, the great benefits of vaccines. One uh, thing that really has just been on the rise, the rate of autism, and is that directly correlated with vaccinations, or what do you think as a pediatrician? Well, most of the research shows there is no connection between vaccines and autism, but it kind of comes down to this issue of a very, very rare reactions mm-hmm. because there have been uh, a handful of children who have suffered a, a neurological reaction to vaccines. And then those, those few children went on to develop autism you know, uh, shortly thereafter. And so there seems to be a connection in these very, very rare circumstances. And of course, most children who get vaccines, in fact, virtually all children who are vaccinated, don't develop autism or any signs of any severe reaction. So I think in, in the field of autism where we're going with vaccines is we're, we're going to try to figure out how to identify which infants might have some neurological or immunological risks uh, in early life that make, might uh, pose some risk for autism and might pose some risk for vaccine reactions, figure out how to test these children and identify them in infancy, you know, the, the very few that, that, that those would be, mm-hmm. and then uh, through screening, figure out how to, how to then you know, uh, minimize their reactions to vaccines and minimize their risk of autism. But overall, I think parents uh, can feel confident and safe about getting vaccines, but we're gonna talk about today you know, uh, some, some alternative ways to look at it, some different ways to pick and choose vaccines that can help minimize uh, parents' worries. So which diseases are most common and apparently, uh, well, which is most severe? Right, because when it comes to picking and choosing vaccines, for example, for a family who maybe doesn't want to get all the vaccines, mm-hmm. the family would then wonder, well, which diseases do pose the biggest risk to my child or my baby? Which, which diseases are severe and which ones are, are fairly common? So that's actually I like to vaccinate in my office. I like to look at the four or actually five diseases that do cause fatalities every year during infancy. There are, there are five of them. It's the flu, it's whooping cough, it's two forms of meningitis, Hib and PC meningitis, and rotavirus. Those five diseases cause approximately 300 fatalities in the United States every year. Now, looking worldwide, these diseases kill you know hundreds of thousands. But in the U.S., you know we have a much better, uh, uh, you know, higher standards of living, better medical care. So only about 300 children tragically will die of those five diseases. So those are the ones that are fairly common or can be fairly severe that parents need to be aware of. And is it because the fever is high? Is it because at what, at one point, like when you say whooping cough right now, I think there is a we, we just did a story actually on whooping cough right now in San Diego especially that is a it seems like that's coming up on the rise uh at what point 
uh, is it because of the fact that they have not been vaccinated? Is that because they have no immune immune system to kick to kick that? Yes, young babies are at biggest risk of mm-hmm. catching a severe case of whooping cough and, and potentially dying. Um, we have about 20 infants every year in the U.S. die of whooping cough, and it's always in the first six months of life. It's the young babies okay. who don't have a good immune system uh-huh. yet, who haven't had the whole series of vaccines yet, or perhaps babies who haven't even had a whooping cough vaccine yet. Um, and those are the ones, uh, very rarely, fortunately, but we're seeing fatalities. And all of the ones you just mentioned in all five, it's usually the real infant ones that have not been vaccinated to the series that you were yes. discussing. Yes, yeah, the okay. young infants. So which diseases are fairly rare and often mild? Well, there's some diseases we vaccinate in the United States, um, and those diseases don't even exist in the U.S. anymore. A perfect example is polio. Mm. You know, that's a, a great uh, success story when it comes to vaccines, how we've eradicated polio from North America, South America, Europe, Australia, and Antarctica, if, if you want to count it. But we still have a little polio in, in Africa and Asia. But the reason we vaccinate for polio in the U.S. is to, is to keep a blanket of immunity so that the disease doesn't come back. But that's, that's one, one disease that children living in the U.S. pretty much have no chance mm-hmm. of catching while living in the United States. We haven't had polio in the U.S. for about 25 years. I was just going to ask you how long it's been. Wow. Right. Yeah. Now, there are some other diseases we vaccinate babies for um, that babies really don't have much risk of. An uh, example would be a hepatitis B. The main reason we vaccinate babies for hepatitis B is so that as they grow up into young teenagers, they have protection from hep B. It's a sexually transmitted disease. And, uh, but we like to vaccinate the babies when they're young because it's harder to vaccinate teenagers. But, and is that but, new? Recent, like as, since when have you No, we've been doing that uh, since the 90s. Okay. Um, that's one example of, of where parents could potentially choose not to vaccinate for hepatitis B because their baby doesn't have any risk. As long as they're educated and they know to vaccinate before risky behaviors begin during mm-hmm. the teenage years. Now, we, there's other vaccines, other diseases out there that, that are fairly rare because of the vaccine programs. You know, measles is fairly rare. Rubella is almost unheard of. Mumps is rare out here on the West Coast, although they're dealing with mumps out on the East Coast right now. Um, Chickenpox is becoming uh, increasingly rare. We also vaccinate for hepatitis A. Um, what else is out there? Um, uh, tetanus is, is extremely rare. Diphtheria doesn't exist in the United States. There's a lot of diseases we still vaccinate for that are rare because of vaccines. And if we stopped vaccinating for them, those diseases could come back, back in the in. U.S., increase and start creating more disease and eventually more fatalities. Now, at some point in time, I want to talk to you about the side effects from these vaccinations and and the, especially the new ones that you've introduced and um, really the new ones that you've introduced, what kind of side effects do you have at the infancy rate and then as you go along through the years? The Probably the most worrisome side effect during infancy would be a reaction we call encephalitis. That's where the vaccine almost works too well and it, it irritates the immune system and makes the immune system rev up too high and it causes a, little in, a lot of inflammation within the brain. The brain swells and, and turns red if you could actually see it, which you can't. But the babies get extremely fussy, high-pitched screaming, really irritable, alternating with, with lethargy and the poor feeding. They get high fever. It goes on for a few days. It's actually a very serious reaction. And fortunately, uh, like I said earlier, it's, it's very rare when that happens. 
But when uh, encephalitis reaction does happen during infancy, that family needs to be aware. They need to tell their pediatrician, go see your pediatrician that day, get it documented in, in the chart, have your pediatrician check out your baby. There's really not much you can do for encephalitis types of reactions, except perhaps uh, fever reducers, uh, medications. But you have to take a look at you know, whether or not you want to repeat those vaccines if you have a severe reaction during infancy, or you would maybe take a more careful vaccine approach, repeat the vaccines, but maybe one or two at a time instead of as many as six at a time mm -hmm. that a lot of babies get. For older children, probably what we see are, are uh, uh, allergic reactions. Their arms get really swollen or red sometimes. Doesn't happen a lot, but that's prob probably the, the biggest troublesome reaction we see in, in older children. Okay. Um, we talk a little bit about how vaccinations have changed a little bit from the new ones. Any other vaccinations that have changed that you want to talk a little bit about? Yes, well, I think the biggest change in vaccines uh, when you look at the 1980s compared to now mm -hmm. is, is the, the expansion of how many vaccines we give. Yeah. Let me take you back, you know, 30 years, we gave children three different vaccines for uh, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, and diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis um, in three different vaccines given as only about eight cumulative shots throughout their childhood. Now, uh, in the year 2010, we give 12 different vaccines, and children get about 54 cumulative, cumulative injections from you know, age of birth up till 18 years. And, and I think parents are a little bit worried about that. They, they hesitate a little bit when they hear those kinds of statistics because it used to be, you know, we didn't do it. We didn't give kids a lot and we didn't see a lot of reactions. And uh, I think a lot more parents were more compliant with vaccines back in the 80s and 90s when there weren't so many we were giving babies. With, with the number we give now, um, and, and especially giving as many as six at a time, whereas we used to only give uh, two vaccines at a time. Parents just want to know, you know, is, is that an overload? Are we giving more than babies can handle? Um, you know, overall, the research says no, you know, that, that we're not overloading the babies. Babies can handle it. But I think it's, it's a question of, of, uh, of some doubt in some parents' minds. And so I like to address those parents' worries and show them how they can vaccinate using today's vaccines, but in a schedule they might feel more comfortable with that they don't feel like they're overloading their baby with too many. Very interesting. Well, we are really getting some great information from Dr. Sears, and we're going to have more with him coming up, so please stay with us. We'll be right back. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high-quality, great-tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with Her Life Stages. The first of its kind, comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. 
Welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to take the time to remind you that if you missed any portion of today's show, you can always download the podcast from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click on the link for radio podcast and listen to our past shows. Plus, you can always download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Dr. Sears. And today we're talking about vaccinations. And now let's talk about the individual vaccines and what are the most common concerns about those children that are not getting vaccinated? Dr. Sears. Well, parents who are not vaccinating their children have to realize uh, there's some disease risk and they need to be educated you know, about uh, what the diseases are, how they are contracted, and, and how to, if there's any preventative measures they can take. And for the most part, I see the disease risk for young infants who are not vaccinated would be mostly for those infants in, in large childcare situations, babies who are in big groups with other babies, a lot of exposure there. There's a lot of sharing of saliva and, and toys and, and you know, one kid catches something and it goes through the, the whole um, childcare. Um, church nurseries are also a, a place where you, you tend to you know, swap a lot of germs. And so families who don't vaccinate their babies, uh, you know, I will usually encourage them to avoid those situations for the first couple years of life. Um, you know, be one of those parents that sits in the back of church with your baby instead of having your baby in the nursery. And 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 if you need to arrange childcare for your baby, uh, try to hire someone a one-on-one or a very small home-based childcare situation instead of a very large childcare center. Playgroups are probably okay to attend if you're unvaccinated, but as long as the playgroups are small and and if your child is not vaccinated, you keep he or she home, if, you know, to, so you don't get others sick. And if there's someone else sick in the child care in, or in the play group, you go there and you see kids coughing or sniffy noses or, um, or the mom's talking about someone who's recently sick. Maybe you don't stay there that day you know, for the, for the uh, play group session. For older children, you know, as, as they grow older, if they start uh, attending school and they're not vaccinated, the, the risk to that unvaccinated child is fairly small in the school setting because we've, we so rarely see any fatal diseases in the school age kids. The fatalities really occur during infancy. So it's not much risk for an unvaccinated child to attend school, but it is some risk uh, to the school itself in that the unvaccinated child might catch what should be a vaccinated preventable, a vaccine preventable disease that child could then spread it around school. For example, chickenpox. The child might catch chickenpox somewhere and then pass it around to classmates. Now, fortunately, most people at school are vaccinated and protected from those types of outbreaks. But that's that's really the kind of the, the biggest risk we see to school-age kids and maybe to our population as a whole. You know, the more and more people that don't vaccinate, the bigger, bigger gaps we have in our nation's immunity and these outbreaks can occur. Now, ultimately, I do think parents should have the right to choose whether or not to vaccinate their child. And I don't think there should be any mandatory laws in our country because I think parents have the right to make health care decisions for their own children. All right. So what, so what are some of the misconceptions with, this, uh, with getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated? Well, I'm surprised that there's still a lot of fear about mercury in vaccines. That was probably the biggest controversy in the 1990s and the early part of the 2000s when we realized a lot of vaccines had mercury 
And, and unfortunately, the cumulative amount of mercury in the entire series of vaccines actually exceeded what has been determined to be safe. Hmm. We were overloading kids with mercury back then. So the government mandated that mercury be removed from vaccines. And as of 2002, mercury was taken out of all vaccines except for flu shots. But a lot of people feel that there's still mercury out there all over the place and that they feel like it's hidden or it's on you know, shelves with older vaccines. But, but I found that's not the case in my pediatric practice, in my experience. The only vaccines that still have mercury are a lot of the flu shots. However, they do make flu shots without mercury. And so if you know, you know how to shop around and you ask your doctor if he or she uses a mercury-free flu shot, you can actually get your child fully vaccinated without any mercury at all. So that's a controversy that I like to clear up, you know, a common misconception that parents really don't have to worry about mercury anymore. Uh, so what choices do parents have then when it comes to the vaccinations? Well, because vaccines are not mandatory in California, parents do have choice. And in my vaccine book, I like to lay out what all the choices are. You know, really, you're either a parent who feels that vaccines are reasonably safe and you trust the current vaccine schedule and you trust your doctor's advice and you trust the, the safety research and you feel comfortable doing the vaccines on the regular schedule. And, and that's great because there's a lot of research behind it. And most parents make the choice to go ahead and vaccinate the regular way. What I've found is as some parents are so worried about vaccines, they don't trust them, they think there's some conspiracies, and they're worried you know, that their baby might be one of the rare statistics who unfortunately has a very severe reaction, and those parents may decide not to vaccinate. And as a doctor, you know, I, I have to respect a parent's freedom to choose. And as long as a parent understands the disease risk they're taking when they don't vaccinate and they understand that they're, they're creating a little bit more risk for society you know, as a whole when it comes to diseases, then you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with parents making that decision and that I, I will keep them as a patient. I, I won't kick them, kick them out of my office like some doctors will. And you know, I have to respect them as long as they feel like they're making a, a, an educated decision. But what I like to do is I like to deal a lot with the parents that are in between those two uh, situations. The parents that do want to vaccinate, but they don't want to vaccinate using the regular schedule. They want their child to have disease protection, but they don't want to overload their baby with so many vaccines. And these parents might uh, also want to focus on the, the diseases that are the most important uh, to be protected against, the diseases that are either common or potentially fatal, but such parents might want to delay or decline some of the less important vaccines for diseases that don't exist in the U.S. And so I like to show those parents how they can vaccinate. And in my office, what I'll do with these parents is I'll give them two vaccines at a time you know, while their baby's young instead of six. And I'll only give them the, the vaccines that protect against the severe diseases. But I will delay the hepatitis B vaccine because that doesn't exist in, in children. Uh, in the U.S. I'll, I'll delay the polio vaccine for a little while um, because we don't have polio. Now, I do like to eventually do those vaccines, but I, I can, you know, give the, the little babies a little break. So I'm only giving them the two shots at a time while they're young, spreading the shots out a little bit. The parents feel better about it. They feel that it's safer for their baby. And I'm seeing a lot more parents be, be uh, compliant 
with vaccines when I'm able to offer them that type of alternative vaccine approach. You know, I was going to ask you, actually, because I know ultimately the vaccines are spread out between newborn to 18 years old. So if you're really not on schedule per se for, you know, I know fifth grade or fifth, five years old. And then what if you miss uh, a year? Are you really, it's that really going to mess up your kids if you accidentally, oh, whoops, I missed it by eight years old or whatever. I mean, it's not going to, as long as you get them in there by 18. <laughs> right, right. For the most part, uh, delaying vaccines is okay. It doesn't mess up, you know, the effectiveness of the mm-hmm. vaccines. However, you, you don't have the full vaccine protection until right. you've completed a series. And there's a lot of uh, you know issues that, that can go on with that, and parents need to have conversations with their pediatrician to make sure they are using vaccines properly. They're getting them in the you know uh, within the recommended time frame, and uh, so it all comes down to having an educated discussion with your pediatrician, but also educating yourself as a parent about what your options are when it comes to vaccines. Um, this is kind of an off question, but in your opinion, you know, celebrities really drive the trends. Have you found that certain celebrities have decided not to vaccinate their kids and therefore have started a trend in uh, vaccinating or not vaccinating kids? Well, of course, you know, some celebrities uh, are, are involved in you know, anti-vaccine education. And, and, and um, you know, I don't know that it's, it's more celebrities. Uh, you know, we there have been some studies that have shown some very interesting facts in that it's, it tends to be the higher educated families that are, are more often saying no to vaccines or doing alternative vaccine schedules. And those just tend to be families who are more likely to, to look into a lot of the controversy or, or have access to a lot of a research that they like to review. And they're just more, maybe more likely to, to question the vaccine system. Okay, well, very interesting once again. And so thank you so very much for your time and a peek into your book, by the way. So uh, this is uh, once again, Dr. Sears, a very important subject and controversial. In the meantime, you can catch more of Dr. Sears on his website, AskDrSears.com and learn all about the Sears family of pediatricians and what they're doing. Get some of their great books and perhaps plan to see them in person. It's been a real pleasure and we look forward to our next visit. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market Radio Show and for shopping at Mother's Market. 